0: Thank you, Mike. Thank you, worship team. Good morning, church. Super good to see you all. If you're visiting with us, welcome. Glad to have you. Thanks for trusting us with your time. Uh, Our prayer for you is that God would speak to you and meet you where you are and provide to you what is needed. We can't do that. I can't do that. But our hope is that you would encounter the living God who can. And so thank you for joining us this morning. Uh, We're going to be in Ephesians 5 as Mike was just reading um, a couple of things, just kind of giving you um, a heads up on where we are. We've made it to chapter 5. We've got chapter 5 and 6 left. Uh, when we initially started uh, going through the book of Ephesians, um, before we really mapped it out, I was like, okay, we can probably do this in about eight weeks. And then I started looking more into just how much God has embedded into this letter. And then we are like, no, let's do 13 weeks. And then as we got further into the series, we've added. I think we're going to be at like 16 weeks uh, by the time we finish. But here's here's what we have left. Um, today is really going to be part three in some ways on this transformative work that God does in us um, through our faith in Jesus. We did uh, part one a couple weeks ago and then Ken came in last week, part two, and then I'll tell you more in a minute about today, part three. Then after this we're going to get into how this gospel that we've believed for our salvation, um, it transforms everyday life and and the implications for marriage and parenting and work, and then we're going to end with um, this uh, this understanding of the spiritual battle that we're in, um, that this gospel that saves us empowers us every day uh, to stand um, in the midst of spiritual warfare. So that's what we have left uh, over the next three or four weeks. Um, but today we're going to be uh, still talking about this transformative process of putting off and putting on, uh, no longer walking in darkness, but now walking in light. And I was thinking about um, the song we just sang. Uh, one of the lines uh, says, "This how how great the chasm." If you caught onto that word "chasm," that's a big word, and it it's supposed to be a big word. It's supposed to put a big kind of picture in your mind of a separation between two things—a chasm, a canyon, a great divide. And in one aspect, as we were singing in the song, what we're meaning is there's this chasm between me and God, or there was before Christ. There's a separation that in Ephesians is called an, an alienation, meaning I'm not just separated from God. He's way over there and I can't get to him, but I'm so separated from God. I'm, stra- I'm a stranger. He's a stranger to me. I don't know him. Um, I've been alienated from him, and that, so I don't just need somebody to throw down a bridge for me to climb over so I can get to God. I need my relationship with God to be reconciled okay and so that there's that chasm between where I am before I believe the gospel and where God is and so through Christ my faith in Christ that chasm is then bridged and now surely and permanently I walk in relationship with God that chasm no longer exists I'm adopted into this family I'm an adopted son he's my father and there's no longer a chasm there There's a second use of this idea of chasm that we're talking about now, and it's the idea of the difference between who I used to be and and who I am now. That there's this separation between who I was before I believed the gospel, um, a separation from that old me, this old self, and this new self that's walking in this newness of life that is given to me um, through my faith in Jesus. And so what we're going to talk about today really is going to need some attentive ears to the difference between being and doing being and doing as we talk about an old self as we talk about who I used to be as we talk about how I used to live versus how I now walk who I now am and how I now live what we're not saying is that there's a chasm necessarily completely yet between the actions and the struggles but what we are saying is there is a chasm in the, in the identity of who I am. So I am no longer who I used to be. I'm now walking in this newness of life, the new me, this new self, yet there is this everyday struggle in my actions. That my actions have not yet aligned with who I am, which is why Paul is writing for over a chapter on the the outward actions that come out of our life and he's saying listen because this is who you are in Christ this is what your life should look like not the other way around see when I first became a Christian the discipleship I received was if you want to be a new person if you want there to be a chasm between who you used to be and who you now are you've got to get all these things down first and once you get all these things down then you'll be a new person that my doing would then change my being. So I'm not an adopted son yet until I get all this down and I quit watching rated R movies and I quit cussing and I quit lying. As soon as I quit doing all those things, then I get my adoption papers and then my being will change. And so with the 10 of ears, we listen. What's the difference then? What is God saying about who I already am now? What is the chasm between who I used to be and who I am, even though... There may still be some real-time everyday struggles. And so with that in mind, we're going to step into Ephesians five together. Could almost spend our whole morning on verses one and two. Maybe we will. We'll see. Therefore, therefore, now that we've talked about putting off and putting on, there's a difference between who I used to be and who I am, therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God we just celebrated that fragrant sacrifice through communion together that's what those elements symbolize this fragrant sacrificial death of Jesus while on one hand it was brutal on the other hand it was beautiful and fragrant it gives us life and brings glory to God just in these few verses here we're already establishing our identity marker of who we are now therefore be imitators of God as who beloved children I I like the wording here he's not saying all right church come on I need you just to imitate God in your life and really really buckle down and get this down so that you can be a child of God and we say no 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 because you already are a beloved child of God therefore what be something be imitators of God so i already have this new identity marker my adoption as a son of God is not up for debate i'm not on probation this is not a trial I already am a son of God. You already are, if you're in Christ, a son and daughter. That chasm has already been reconciled. You're already adopted in. You're not waiting on the papers to come through. You have your new identity in Christ as a beloved child. So therefore, imitate God. And so Paul has used this imagery of like put off and put on and walking in no longer walking in darkness, but now walking in light, and now he's talking about imitating God. This idea of imitating God, which is interesting, what we looked at in Ephesians 4 was where Paul was talking about this in verse 22, he said, put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life, that's who you used to be, and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and put on the new self, and then listen to what he says, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness we talked about it when we read that that's a that's a reference to Genesis 1 you were created in the likeness of God that sets you apart from creation and now as Paul calls us as children of God beloved children of God to imitate God he's calling us into this image bearing he's saying reflect to the world who God is how do I do that you imitate him be a imitator an image bearer a reflector of who God is this is how we were created and this is what we are being restored to verse 32 of chapter 4 says this just to give us some kind of indication he says be kind to one another I I like that one I'm gonna get that one tattooed on my my both of my son's wrists be kind do you want to be right or do you want to be kind because you can't be both be kind but look at what he says tender-hearted forgiving one another all good stuff oh look at that as Christ and God forgave you so what God has done in my life he wants me to now imitate that see how practical that is you think about another human being you think well I wonder what God wants me to do with that person I don't know what does God do with them wonder how God wants me to treat that person because he's a real jerk I don't know how does God treat him you see how simple that is now not easy simple you're an imitator as God has loved you and forgiven you and been tenderhearted towards you, you are to imitate that by being kind-hearted and tenderhearted towards one, one another. And so we ask the question, what does it look like then to imitate God? And that's really the rest of all the way through verse 21. It's just a description. Paul's just laying it out. And what's interesting about today, we're gonna see is, um, is that he's not just gonna be talking about outward actions. He's really gonna be talking a lot about what we do with this thing. This thing right here with our mouth and we'll get deeper into that so first of all in verse 3 he says but sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper for the saints So, there's already we're getting this idea of naming things okay and we'll get further into that in a minute but let's just look at the list what's interesting about um, the verse, the first 21 verses of chapter 5, I don't know why yet, like fully, but Paul just used this pattern of three. You're going to see it over and over again. So here's the pattern of three. We have three things mentioned here, sexual immorality. It's a Greek word, porneia. Um, it means unnatural or improper sexual relationship. And so what's interesting is the old debate, like when I say old, like not too long ago, 10 years ago, within culture and within the church was as we think about sexuality and what's proper and not proper we had the old debate was where do you draw the line everything on this side line is good and proper everything over here is not and we had debate in our culture and that line just kept getting moved didn't it moved moved now the debate there's no line it's just is there is there anything that's improper at all and that's what culture would argue is that there isn't anything improper about sexuality and here clearly the word of god says that there is that there is a line that the bible does draw now we're not going to go deep into it in this setting and we actually have this on our website we have a stance on our website that deals with this from a biblical perspective sexuality and gender identity and if it's something that you're not quite sure how that works out. I, I just commend that to you. Go look and see the work we've done on this topic. But clearly, God's word says, no, no, there is a line. And what is improper and unnatural sexually should not even be named among you. Then he mentions impurity, this idea of being dirty or unclean, and then covetousness, covetousness, this idea of greed, this strong desire for something that isn't yours. He's gonna come back later and he's going to lay over the top of that this idea of idolatry, that that idea of greed and wanting something that isn't yours leads to idolatry. But here he says, these things shouldn't be named, and I read that this week, and I thought, man, that's a little confusing, because just two weeks ago, we were talking about how important it is that we give a name to our sin and our suffering. that We don't just gloss over it, we don't generalize it, we don't pretend like it's not there, but true confession is to agree with God and give a name to these things and so the very uh, next verse is going to help us understand what he means though and I really like the NIV even though the ESV is literally translated don't let these things not be named the NIV captures the heart of it by saying there shouldn't even be a hint of it that's the idea here that what comes out of our mouth will hint of what's actually in our hearts And so the very next verse says this, let there be no filthiness nor foolish talk nor crude joking which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. That's what is meant by don't let these things be named. That we wouldn't let any filthy, this is the idea of like shameful talk come out of our mouths, foolish talk or vulgar or crude joking come out of our mouths so if you put that together um, with the verse before it's this idea of don't talk about sexuality impurity or greed in a shameful foolish or vulgar way pulling those two things together the bible isn't saying you can't have a sense of humor not saying hey don't joke it's a specific kind of joking that we're told not to do Right? Don't even let these things be named among you, and don't let these things come out of your mouth in a shameful kind of way. But instead, what? But let there be thanksgiving. Let there be thanksgiving. So it seems to be really important what I do with this thing. In this process of being transformed, putting off the old self, putting on the new self, walking in who I already am now in Christ. The chasm, right, is not in my being or my identity. I'm already in Christ. The chasm is what? Sometimes I still look like the old me. When you look at the actions coming out of my life, even the words coming out of my mouth, it's going to hint. It's going to drop some clues of who I used to be. And so if I'm going to walk in this new self, I have to pay attention to things that come out of my mouth. He says, here, try this on. Let some thanksgiving come out of your mouth. And that's gonna recur several times in this passage. It's actually gonna end there with this idea of thanksgiving. Let's change those words out. Well, verse five says this, for you may be sure of this, that everyone, now we're gonna get another identity marker. Pay attention to this who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Once again, that um, work we did on um, sexuality and gender identity talks, we spent some time on this one, the difference between a person who is sexually immoral versus a person who is new in christ who is still struggling and wrestling with an old sin nature there's a difference so just because tomorrow i'm tempted and maybe have to wrestle some with sin does not mean i've lost my salvation i hit a u-turn and went back across the chasm to who i used to be the key here is anyone who is these things remember who you are your beloved children you're not these people anymore and so he says anyone who is sexually immoral or impure or is covetous when you trust in Christ when you hear the gospel and believe it you are forgiven transformed you are no longer that person the old you is gone and buried with Christ and you're walking already Is this new creation created to bear the image of God. He says that this person who's still across that chasm, who has not been saved, has no inheritance. That's an interesting reference, but it takes us back to chapter one, verses like 12, 13, and 14, and he's talking to the church. He says, "Here's, here's how that chasm is bridged. Here's how your relationship with God is reconciled. Remember when you heard the gospel, the gospel of your salvation and believed it you remember that and then you were sealed by the holy spirit who is a guarantee of what your inheritance so he's not saying hey here's god's to-do list and as soon as you get this right we'll add your name to god's will and you'll have an inheritance but until then good luck Paul's not saying, hey, just because you're still struggling and wrestling with sin. Actually, the struggling and wrestling is the evidence of the Holy Spirit, right? Because just a few weeks ago, we were talking about what does it look like when I'm not struggling and wrestling? Paul says it this way, you've given yourself over to moral riot. That's different from I'm in Christ, I'm a beloved child, and I'm still wrestling, Still wrestling with temptation and sin and I'm still doing things I don't want to do and not quite yet doing all the things I want to do in Christ. And here's this reminder that that person has no inheritance. The person who is sexually immoral, is impure, is greedy. Chapter four says it this way, they are darkened in their understanding. They are alienated from the life of God. They have a hardness of heart. That heart can't even feel conviction anymore. Remember that? It's calloused. And they've given themselves over to sensuality or this moral riot. And they are greeted to practice every kind of impurity. That is not a description of somebody who is in Christ who is wrestling with sin. You hear the difference? So I don't want you to read this as a Christian and go, oh, it's like playing monopoly, I'm going back to jail. I work so hard, I come so far, I guess I gotta go get saved all over again and start again. Say, like, no, 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 no. No, no, no. If you're in Christ and you're still struggling with sin, the most powerful thing you can do is agree with God and give your sin a name, confess it, and bring it out into the light. That's where forgiveness and freedom are found. That's where transformation is found. Let's talk for a minute then, Ephesians 5, 6, about this idea of light and darkness and and the old me and what does it mean now to walk in the light? What does it mean to walk in the new self, to put this on? I'm in Christ, that's who I already am, but my actions don't align yet. My words don't align, so what does it look like then? What advice do you have for me, Paul, on how to do that? Verse 6 says, starts here let no one deceive you with what empty words this is a significant factor turns out let nobody deceive you with empty words for because of these things the wrath of god comes upon the sons of disobedience that's the chasm right i'm not that i used to be a son of disobedience now i'm a child of god therefore do not become partners with them for at one time you were in darkness but now You are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. So Paul's breaking it down for us. What does it look like to put on this new self? Man, don't be be deceived. Don't be partners with the children of disobedience. Don't take part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead walk as children of the light. Look at verse 9 with me. What does it look like to be a a child of the light, and to walk as a child of the light, to walk in this new self? He says right here, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good, right, and true. Good, right, and true. That's what should be coming out of my life. That's what I should be striving for. That's what I'm putting on now in Christ. Now the word good here, the Greek word that is used here when it's describing the Old Testament, that Greek word is used to describe the kindness of God. Okay, so you hear good, um, it it does mean good, but it means even more specifically kindness. When you talk about God's loving kindness in the Old Testament, it's described with this word. That you and I walk in the children of light, one of the things that we are to do is to be kind towards one another be good towards one another so if you see in me a lack of kindness wait you're the pastor aren't you supposed to have all this down no I mean I want to have it down but I don't I'll just say it that way so if you spend a lot of time with me you may see evidence of unkindness like ooh, that was kind of harsh that was unkind does that mean that all of a sudden now I've hit that place of monopoly where I have to go back to the beginning and start again Shoots and ladders, was that the one? I don't know. All these board games we played as children, I'm like, gosh, they were so demeaning. It made me so sad. Start again. <sighs> Battleship was cool. Still is. Alright, yeah. So, point is, if you see that in my life, what do you do with that? You go, mmm, I knew it. Not a child of God. He gets up and preaches every Sunday and he's not there yet. No, 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 no. If you see unkindness, coming out of my life. Here's what I want you to do with it. I would would love for you to come build a relationship with me, spend time with me, and then share it with me. Listen to this. Kindly. You with me? And that's, that's how we interact with one another as children of the light. Kindly. Not only is kindness supposed to be coming out of our lives, what is right and true. This idea of fierce justice you see injustice it moves you if it doesn't move you ooh maybe some calluses starting to gather over your heart what does the fruit of a child of God look like kindness a desire hunger for justice and a hunger and a desire for what is true this word is loaded in a good way What do I believe is meant by this? I believe it means what is true with a capital T. This is true. Capital T. It doesn't update itself. doesn't morph, change. It's not dynamic. It's static. And it's true with a capital T. And it's always true whether I believe it or not. Whether I practice it or not. I think it also has practical implications. This is what we want our children to tell us, Right? The truth the truth about what happened just tell me what happened start with what is true because if we don't know what is true we don't even know what to do somebody asked me recently uh hey do you do you listen to the news and I'm like honestly not much anymore Oh, well, why not don't you care I care a lot I just don't know what is true from 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 any source you can recommend your sources, but I'm already telling you, I'm, I'm jaded. I'm going to be skeptical. It's sad. I might be reading something that is true, but I'm struggling to believe it because in our culture today, nobody is obligated to tell what is true, what has truly happened. There's another layer to this, and that's what's true about you. That's what's true about me. So when you ask me how I'm doing, if I say, fine, I'm not telling you what is true. See, as a child of light, I walk in what is good, kind. I walk in this desire for justice. I also walk in what is true. I'm anchored to capital T truth. When you ask me about something that happened, I tell you the truth. And if you ask me how I'm doing, I tell you what is true about me. And so this is what it looks like to put on the new self, to walk in this new identity as a beloved child of God. It doesn't make you a child of God. It comes out of your life because you already are. He says this in verse 10, try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. You should be trying to discern that. Is that easy? No, do you always get it down? No, but there should be this desire and striving. I want to know what the will of the Lord is. Take no part in unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them, bring them into the light, tell the truth about them, for it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But any, when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible, for anything that becomes visible is light, therefore it says, and then Paul's going to quote a, an, an old first century kind of hymn, one of the first songs of the church. Awake, O oh sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Going back to what's supposed to be coming out of our mouth? Oh, thankfulness, praise, worship, not foolish, shameful talk. That, those are the identity markers of what? A son of disobedience, not a child of God verse 15 continues practically what does this look like here look carefully then how you walk not as unwise but as wise making the best use of time making because the days are evil therefore do not be foolish but understand what the will of the lord is do not get drunk with wine for that is debauchery but be filled with the spirit this idea of like right not giving yourself to to be controlled by other things this is not a call to don't drink alcohol this is a call to not be drunk and controlled by things so you could alcohol yes but you can take it and apply it to a lot of things instead of being controlled by alcohol or some kind of illegal substance or work or shopping or eating or what people think about you instead of being controlled by those things instead as a child of light be controlled by what the Holy Spirit I love this again telling us what to do with our mouth addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart giving thanks always don't let this corrupt talk come out of your mouth Well, what should come out of my mouth thankfulness hymns spiritual songs always giving thanks for everything to god the father in the name of the lord jesus christ submitting to one another out of reverence for christ so here we're to walk in wisdom make the best use of our time so be intentional don't waste time don't be flippant with time sitting in a hammock reading a book is not being flippant with time So it's not telling you, go be a busybody. It's just saying, make the best use of your time. Right now, you may need to rest in the Lord. You may need to spend some time meditating. You may need to sleep. That could be the most spiritual thing you could do for some of you today. Let your body stink and rest so that your mind and heart can catch up. So this is not a call to be a busybody, but to be intentional. Do not get drunk with wine, but instead be filled with and controlled by the Holy Spirit, we're dressing one another with thankful hearts and submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Now, what I want to do now is just point to a couple of other biblical authors that talk about this connection. So we've got this idea, I'm not who I used to be. There's this chasm between being a son of disobedience versus being a child of God, a son of God. That chasm has been bridged and I'm no longer that person and I'm not going back not because of my strength and power, but because I'm sealed in the Holy Spirit for the day of redemption, the guarantee of my inheritance. I am a son. I'm not becoming a son. I am. The actions that come out of my life, right, aren't quite there yet. I still struggle with that old sin nature. And the hint that you'll see is what comes out of my mouth. What's interesting is what Jesus says about this. He says that turns out, the overflow of the heart will come out of what? Your mouth. That what we say with our mouth is evidence of the intent and the condition of our hearts. Not your Sunday school attendance. Not your volunteer frequency at the church. Not how much money you give. The evidence of the condition and the intent of your heart will be made visible. By the words that come out of your mouth. James talks quite a bit about this. He says what we do with our mouth actually controls our whole body. He says it's a lot like a bit in the mouth of a horse. With just such a small thing, you can control this huge, powerful animal then he adds another layer on top of that it's kind of like the rudder of a of a ship it's this small thing right but it controls this huge boat with sails and and it's heavy and that this little rudder can control he said oh yeah it's also kind of like a spark that can light up a forest fire it turns out it matters what we do with this thing and here Paul is saying to put off the old self and walk as the new self, we're going to have to pay attention. We're going to be imitators of God. How are we going to do that? By paying attention to what we do with this. With this thing, James says, you will either bless or curse. There is no neutral ground. You will either bless or curse. If you're in this room and you're married, I'm going to say it one more time with this thing you will either bless or curse it's like a rudder on a ship and your marriage is the ship we're giggling because we know doesn't mean you're not saved Paul's talking to saved people he's saying pay attention to the words I'm not just calling you to this high moral life that looks pristine and godly and everybody can go oh look at him saying no like, look at the hints. Look at the small evidence. Look at what comes out of your mouth. Pay attention to that if you want to imitate God because God always pays attention to the words that comes out of his mouth. I want to read this to you. It's just a summary of what we've gone over today but really it includes some of the last two weeks paul's using these metaphors of taking off and the old self and putting on the new self along with walking in the light and no longer walking in the darkness he's painting these pictures of this transformative process that happens in the heart of someone who is in christ in christ we are being transformed back and two image bearers that what god created you to do in genesis 1 is being restored in you that's what you were created to do was to imitate god now in christ that is being restored this is what paul means when he calls the church to be imitators of god what comes out of our mouths is connected to what is in our hearts And imitating God begins with guarding and paying attention to our speech. Instead of speaking in a way that is shameful, foolish, or vulgar, we are to speak in a way that is thankful, kind, just, and true. And that's what it looks like to walk in the light as an imitator of God. I'm gonna ask some questions now just for us to think about. Okay, what's the practical takeaway from today? let me just ask you this first question maybe I need to ask your spouse I'll ask you though I'll let you ask them if you want to is your speech consistent in all arenas of your life is your speech that you've given away today in this space with other believers is it consistent is that what it sounds like to be with you in your parenting Is that what it sounds like to be with you in your marriage? Is that what it sounds like to be with you at your place of work? Is that what it sounds like to be with you when you're with your homies? Your closest friends? The people who know you the best, who love you the most, who won't walk away from you? Is your speech consistent in all areas or arenas of your life? What does your speech reveal about what is going on in your heart? If, if thankfulness isn't what's coming out, what is coming out? I caught myself this last Friday. I felt anger coming out of my heart. It was coming out of my words. I like, I'm, I'm angry. I'm f- frustrated. What happened? I had to take a step back and think, oh, you know what? That started in this situation. Okay. Ken told us last week, don't let the sun go down on your anger, right? So now, instead of like spewing out resentment or anger or frustration, I'm going to spew out kindness and goodness and truthfulness like a rudder on a ship. Like a rudder on a ship changed my day, and I think it's changing my relationships. So what does your speech reveal about what's going on in your heart? Are there any areas of your life where you should repent of speaking in a way that is shameful, foolish, or vulgar? I have not been listening to your phone calls or reading your text messages. I don't know. It's between you and the Lord, but ask yourself that. After hearing today what it looks like to be a child of God, is there anything that you need to go, you know what? I need to do some business with God today. I really need to repent of the way I've been speaking to my children. That was an example. Again, I'm not reading your mail. Here's another question. Does your speech reflect that you have believed the gospel and that you've been sealed with the Holy Spirit? Does your speech reflect that you are now a child of God, that your, your inner being has been changed? And then lastly, would those who know you best describe you as a thankful person? Do you see how many times thankfulness came up today? That the people who know you best would they describe you as a thankful person just by listening to what comes out of your mouth? So here's what we're going to do. I'm going to pray for us, pray for you. And the band's going to come out and lead us in a song. The song is going to kind of stir up our hearts to be thankful for what Jesus has done. If that's where you are, I want to encourage you to sing that song out of gratitude. Sing a, sing a hymn, sing a spiritual song with us today. If you're just still wrestling and churning, you're like, I don't know that I'm ready to sing. I need to talk to somebody. I need to pray. Grab grab one of our prayer partners, okay? They'll be down here on the sides ready to pray with you. If there's more follow-up that you want, desire and need, our our elders will be available as well out in the commons area. Um, We ask each other to wear a lanyard. It's not so we can look cool. It's just so you'll know who we are. Come grab an elder and just say, hey, can I talk with you a little bit more about what God's doing? So I'm going to pray, um, our worship team's going to come out, and then we're going to respond. Let me pray for us now. Father, thank you for this time in your word. Um, we're so thankful that, God, your word, the words of the Bible, are true. They're inspired by you, they are accurate, they don't change. Um, at times when we read them, they, they cut a little. <laughs> they open up this outer shell of this callous heart. We're thankful for that, God, that you care enough about us to speak truth to us. And Father, in your words, you instruct us and warn us, and today you've done that in a way, God, that convicts us to pay more attention to the words that come out of our mouth. Words matter, they reveal what's going on inside of our hearts. And if we are to be truly transformed into the image of Christ, if we are going to truly put off the old self and put on the new self, Father, we are going to have to pay attention to our words and replace the foolish, crude, harsh, unkind words with thankfulness, words that bless and don't curse. Father, we each one of us here today needs to hear that message. So, God, now we're praying for your spirit to work in us as we prepare to respond. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.